When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode, you are going to get an in-depth exploration into the science and spirit of breathwork. I've interviewed Stephen Whitney, who is a Soma Breath Master instructor and trainer and a friend of mine too. I really enjoyed recording this session and as you'll notice, it was a lot of fun too. We talk about healing, influencing your autonomic nervous system, your mula bandha, your pelvic floor muscles, how to use that, how breathing can influence your heart rate and how correcting your breath can really open up many opportunities for you in 2021. It's one of my longer interviews, but I've tried to make it as practical and actionable. So make sure that you take notes. And as a compliment to this episode, there's also a free 40-minute Soma Masterclass that you can attend to experience this form of breathwork. And I promise you, you will feel relaxed and calm immediately. So after the episode, go to my7chakras.com forward slash Soma. That's my S-E-V-E-N-C-H-A-K-R-A-S dot com forward slash S-O-M-A. Now, enjoy the episode. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind relax your nervous system and experience the joy of being alive. In today's episode, we're going to explore some really fascinating topics such as breathwork, releasing stress, detoxifying the body and listening to your inner voice. So if you are interested in these topics or even other topics and you want to listen to it in your car or even at home, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button on your iPhone. Or if you're on Spotify, hit follow. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe because that does something to the algorithm which allows our episode and our content to reach more years and come in front of more eyes, right? So if you're on these platforms, make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you hit follow so that you can help us grow, right? And if you'd like to join our Facebook group, the official group of our podcast, and make sure that you go to my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. My seven is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Stephen Whitney. So Steve is a Soma Breath Master Instructor and Teacher Trainer. After Stephen went through some deeply troubling times with his mother's unexpected death, he started to wake up. Breathing was the key to unlocking his potential. And Steve now focuses on helping others to do 
the same. So Steve is, is an amazing person, very kind, very knowledgeable, and very motivational as well. And I can't wait to have him on our show. So Steve, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate uh, being here and the the warm, welcoming introduction. So thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. And you know, before I start, I wanted to mention that you've got a very wonderful way of infusing energy and really making some topics that are sometimes hard to understand and comprehend, very easy, palatable, and easy to understand. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that, actually. Yeah, I'm just old country boy, um, construction country boy that tries to keep things as simple as possible while some, some of these topics are super complex. So I appreciate that. Wonderful. So let's start from the very beginning. Well, right now you're in Thailand, right? But where were you born and brought up? I was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan, actually. But I, I moved out of there very at a very young age and uh, spent most of my time in Missouri actually Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. So I lived out in the, in the woods and on farms and things like that. So, uh, and then I moved to Denver, Colorado and lived there for about seven years. And that's where I was at before I, I moved to Thailand four years ago. Interesting. So I think pretty much everyone who's listening to this episode, especially if they're listening to this in America knows about the Ozarks because of the popular show, the Netflix show Ozarks. <laughs> and so you've gone from one place to another, right? I mean, how different was living in Missouri compared to Colorado? It's like night and day. Um, in Missouri, it's very conservative. You run the same routines, the same days. And I never really understood how much of a routine and how consistent people are in those small towns. And hmm. for you to really grow, you need to leave that town. And so it took me until I was, what, 20, 23 years old to leave that uh, my hometown. And, hmm. uh, and then I moved to Colorado where it's much more innovative and it's more about health and wellness and exercise and being in nature. And um, for some reason in Missouri was more about basically just trying to get by, you know, there wasn't really much thriving. It was just, you're on a loop, um, which was fine. You're happy and doing okay, but there was no, there's no deep, deep growth in the, uh, in the area that I lived. So I, I needed to get out. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. And for growth, that's the main reason a lot of these people listen to our podcast as well, right? Is because they at some point have hit a loop, hit something like a hamster wheel, and they realize that that routine that they've set into does not serve them any longer, and they want to go beyond and maybe surround them, themselves with different people or maybe try out different things. Um, and as you might agree, the first seven years of our life pay, uh, play a very critical role right, in our uh, overall outlook on life and how we relate to the world around us. So what influence did your parents have on your upbringing? A oh, huge one, huge one. Um, I really looked up to my parents. They were, well, they were just amazing human beings. And actually, it's very interesting because mm. it wasn't until I got into my 30s right. that I really started to do some like inner work with my upbringing and my childhood. 
I thought my parents were saints. They sacrificed everything for us. And we didn't have money growing up. We struggled financially, and but we still made it to the soccer tournaments. We made it to the education um, classes and, and um, meetups and gatherings. And <clears throat> my parents literally gave us everything. But mm. the interesting thing is that I later found out that they didn't give me everything. So when I put them on kind of like this pedestal for being, you know, such pioneers and warriors and sacrificing everything, uh, second sacrificing everything for themselves to better us kids, what it was actually doing was teaching me um, basically to have a negative relationship with money and success. Mm. So I saw money as painful because my parents suffered going through not having much money and they would sacrifice their own, like they wouldn't eat dinner if we were out to a soccer game or a big tournament because we could barely afford the hotel room where all the other kids were staying. Mm -hmm. And so they wouldn't eat dinner that night just to have enough money to get us through the weekend. And um, so I ended up building up a, a relationship with money, a negative one. And so it's been mm. really interesting over the last three or four years as I journey back into my childhood and, and do a lot of kind of healing and surrender yeah. because an interesting thing is that you can only give what you have. Right. So when we point blame at our parents and our upbringing and things that maybe went wrong or not the right way that we wanted to, we generally want to point blame. You did this to me. You know, mm. there's a lot of hatred and resentment that follows generally <clears throat> people that have had, you know, a rocky upbringing. But the thing is, is you can only give what you have. So my parents' parents, my grandparents, they gave my parents everything they had, but they mm -hmm. weren't taught certain things. So right. they didn't give them what, everything that they could possibly have yeah. in regard to emotional and support, financial, I mean, the whole nine yards. And so right. that's what I realized is that my parents gave me everything, but they didn't give me everything I needed. Mm. And, and that's okay. There was no, there was no harm done, no foul, but it allowed me to realize that it's important for me to rewrite my story and to fill those gaps. And the more gaps and voids that I can fill with what's truly aligned with my purpose and my passion, mm -hmm. and the more that I can give to my children one day. And so realizing that you can only give what you have really inspired me to try and gather as much understanding of human beings and the mind and the psyche and the body as I possibly could so that I could really show up. And that's, in my opinion, how we, how we better generations is trying to give even more than the last person. If we give the same, then we're not evolving, you know? Yeah, yeah. Very fascinating. I mean, I'm also on a similar journey right now where I'm sure of looking back at my own life for seven years, first 10 years. And uh, for the most part, I feel thankful and grateful for all the things that my parents did for me. I mean, there could have been so many things that could have gone wrong or sour. Uh, but then obviously I'm sort of re-evaluating my own relationship with money and abundance and what I deserve. Uh, I totally get your point that, you know, our parents did the best that they could with their level of awareness or their consciousness and their parents did the same. So there's a level of gratitude that we extend to them. At what point did you have this epiphany that, you know what, maybe my relationship to money was not as sound as I thought it was. What was that point at which you had this realization that maybe I need to do some more work on, 
on my you know connection with money or finances or abundance um i think it really started to come up so i was corporate america and when i quit my job in uh, colorado and moved to thailand I sold my business, sold everything I owned, and I took a, a decent chunk of change um, to Thailand with me. So I didn't have to work for a year or two. And I used my entire life savings. Well, as that money got smaller and smaller because I was investing every penny I had into self-growth and development, yoga, meditation, everything I get my hands on, um, that money ran out. And then what by God and luck. I Oops, I think I lost you there. Mind. While I'm in Thailand. I think I lost you there. Maybe if you could just say that last part once again, where you said that you were in Thailand and you were sort of slowly but surely investing yourself, but also running out of money. We can re-record that, making sure all the everything is proper. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I get a phone call from one of my clients in America and my, my life savings is running thin. I, I want to have maybe a thousand or two left in there. So I need to do something. And by the sheer grace of God, I get a phone call from an old client that says, Hey, Steve, I have a big project. Um, are you in America? And I was like, no, but I can be. So literally I flew back to America for a month, did a huge job for one of my old clients, regathered up a bunch of money and headed back to Thailand. And that was going to sustain me for another year. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Well, that money ran out. <laughs> and at that point, I realized that I really um, was very gifted to have the opportunities that I had to make a, a decent chunk of, of money and live on while I was finding out what I wanted to do and find my purpose. But when that second round ran out, this is when it became a little bit sticky. And I was like, I, I don't have any of the resources. And so I was put into kind of a rock and a hard place. I wasn't making any money. I had trained in yoga, meditation, pranayama, all these things, but I hadn't, I hadn't made any income from it. I are very, very little. And so it was at that point that I started to feel that contraction, to feel that doubt. And I started to retreat and go, oh, I can't do this. I'll never do this. How do people even pay their bills trying to help people be healthy? This is ridiculous. And, uh, and that's when all that stuff came up. And I realized that there was actually a big blockage. And so I started to meditate on it and kind of journey deeper and deeper. And that's when I realized that um, I love to spend money, but to receive it is so uncomfortable for me. And literally I'll, I'll be like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. If somebody owes me a hundred bucks, I'll probably turn it down and just be like, oh, don't worry about it. You can just keep it. Okay. Well, I realized after looking at my old patterns that I have a negative relationship with success and money. Mm. And then I realized it's actually because I, I saw that every mm. single day for my entire life. Uh, the time that I was living with my parents, my first, what, 18, 19 years of my life, mm. I, was, I was being shown to have a negative relationship with money. And mm. so once that happened, then I started to move into like, you know, what is abundance? What does that mean? And so I actually disassociated myself with having any attachment to money, any attachment to it. I don't care if it's coming in, if it's going out, I have full trust and faith that it is there to support me because I'm trying to help support others. And once I really, really surrendered into that true belief and not worrying, like 
oh, I need to check my bank account. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, do I have enough money to do this? No, 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 no. I, I disassociated with that. And ever since then, it's, my business has grown 10 times. Money comes in and I'm comfortable. And, and it's something that I, I really think people should, should be aware of is, you know, separating with that attachment to, to their financial, uh, you know, worries and issues because it'll come to you. It really will. Yeah. I mean, we're in interesting times right now, right? Around the world, especially in uh, certain countries, maybe not all countries, but there's this fear that is there collectively in people. And uh, time seems to be running out because a lot of people have been put out of jobs or maybe businesses have, you know, uh, shut down because of, because of what's happening around. And I think this can lead to people attaching their sense of identity and self-worth with the amount of money that they have in their bank. Right. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think this is a really wise comment. And the thing that I kind of want to interject on is you said time is running out and that initial thought is what will bring you pain and stop the money flow coming in. Oh, the mm. time is running out. We need <laughs> to do this now. That immediately is creating a different vibration. Time is subjective. Mm. We have all the time in the world. Time is not running out. And I assure you, we've all been completely broke, not a dollar in the bank. And we've all had a, a time where money was pouring in. Everyone's had that, that, you know, that paradox, that, that diversity. And so, no, time isn't running out, in my opinion. No, we're just picking up for people to to learn new things to journey inward to find out what makes them happy and to create new relationships with their thoughts their feelings their uh partners and also their money and same thing with time so i actually think this is a time to uh <laughs> to actually grow into abundance it's just how we view it and how we perceive it absolutely and so what did i mean going back to your childhood what did you want to become when you were a child? It's funny, actually. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted oh, to be really? a school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I struggled in school. I was dyslexic and ADHD. And mm -hmm. so uh, school was a bit challenging for me. And I didn't really get the support that I needed to be able to like, you know, go through school and, and feel like I could grow and thrive. Instead, it was just like, I was embarrassed and made fun of and, and some other things with that whole, the whole education system, you know? Um, but that's kind of what like made me who I am, you know, but that's what really inspired me is like, I wanted to become the teacher that made learning fun. I wanted mm. to be that teacher in the front of the, the deal, like crumpling up paper and throwing it at kids, you know, just being like a total mm. goofball. I, you know, did you ever have a teacher like that? That was just so much fun. You know what? Now that I remember the best times that I've had in school and the stuff that I actually remember is when the teacher was very playful, a lot of fun. And because of that emotional high that we were on, that positive emotional high, we had a lot of fun. I still remember it. I remember when I was in school, they taught uh, Shakespeare at one point, Julius Caesar. And so this teacher had a different approach. She was not like, you know, just going through the notes, but she actually made us enact one of the scenes from Julius Caesar. 
and we wore these weird leaves on our head and we <laughs> you know donned uh, these capes and we actually made attempts to not just learn it but also enact what actually happened in that play and i can still remember it years later excerpts from that play so teachers make such a difference <laughs> oh that's incredible incredible but yeah and so that's like just those little moments in mm. in that wild i was probably 12 years old and that imprint that you know what i'm going to be a teacher one day and i'm going to change the way that kids learn you know i'm going to make it fun and interactive they're going to learn so much more they're going to wake up inspired to go to class every every day well <laughs> it's funny 20 <laughs> you know 20 years later I actually manifested that. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Now, I, th I thought it was going to be for English or math or science or something. Mm. I never thought that I would teach people how to breathe um, or teach the science behind breathing, you know? And yeah. so it's just kind of funny. But that, apparently that thought took a much deeper imprint than I ever thought. Because, yeah, like I said, 20 years later. I'm actually doing what I set out to do just completely in a different industry. <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy. And Action Tribe, if you are listening to this right now, take a moment to think about when you were 12 or 14 or maybe 15 or even eight, what was that one thing that you wanted to do or become when you grew old? Because in my case, I remember when I was at that age, approximately, I had the microphone in front of me and I would do a lot of recording you know, with audacity and recording my voice and making certain edits and seeing how I sounded and adding reverb or adding an echo and just experimenting. And to me, I wanted to be like a creator of some kind or maybe be able to record my voice. But in my childhood mind, I couldn't fathom any career that I could go into by recording my voice. But, you know, some from somewhere down the line, I am in a way recording my voice, right? Yeah, for sure. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Interesting. Okay, so Steve, you were in Missouri. At some point, you decided to go to you know, move to Colorado because you wanted to surround yourself with, uh, you know, different people, people who are committed to a better quality of life, uh, focus on health and people who are committed to growth. 
And then at a certain point, you decided to move to Thailand, to Kopangan, right? Along with your fiance. Uh, so you went there. And like you mentioned, you spent some time and, and, and money on investing in yourself. But then you experienced some depression, right? What was the reason, as you look back now, that you had the depression? Do you know? Yeah, definitely. That's taken some inner work as well. So I moved to Colorado. Yeah, for the for the health, but really for the business. I wanted to be an entrepreneur in the corporate world. And and that's what I did. But I was very unhealthy. I had a, a heavy drinking problem. I was doing cocaine and drugs on the weekends. And uh, I, I weighed about 50 pounds more than I weigh now. And mega, mega stressed out, mega stressed out. And it was some really unfortunate circumstances that occurred um, with my mother's death that uh, put me into a position to start questioning my life and questioning life itself. You know, yeah, somebody dies uh, very unexpectedly and you start to just kind of scratch your head and go, wait a minute. She was, she was supposed to be old and gray. Like, so what is this? And how can you ever predict this? And, and it just made me question life completely. Mm. And so, um, my partner had a heart attack a year after that. And that is when we decided to, to move. And actually this, just to add one more thing to this. Um, so she goes to Thailand to do a, a 30 day retreat. Okay. Mm -hmm. My partner to heal her heart attack. She wanted to okay. learn more about the body. I stayed in Colorado and while she was gone, I got a DUI driving under the influence and she comes back and I have to tell her, hey, by the way, while you're out of town, I got arrested. And uh, anyway, so I can't. She said, I want to move to Thailand. Mm. I don't want to stay in America anymore. And I said, oh, wonderful. I can't leave the country with a DUI. Uh. And so at that point, I was I was heartbroken. I, you know, I would support her to leave. And, you know, I was just in a really bad place. Anyway, um, so by the sheer grace and luck of God, I prayed every single day for four months straight. Mom, please, I'm calling you right now, calling you from the heavens. Please help me get through this. I promise I'll do something more positive with my life. I promise I will change. And so uh, that's exactly what started to happen. And out mm. of nowhere, the case got dismissed. The DUI mm. got fully dismissed. And no one could quite figure out how or why, but there just wasn't enough proof. And, and the case got dismissed. So I literally channeled the spirit of my mother. She got me out of it. And then I was on a plane two weeks later, sold everything we owned. And yeah, we're on a plane two weeks later and landed in Thailand with a one-way ticket, not planning on coming back. And that's, that's when the depression kicked in. Mm. From the moment I showed up to the island, I didn't like it. I thought it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. The people were way too hippie for me. And, <laughs> you know, was, everyone's wearing white and like right. eye gazing. Like you're at the coffee shop and people are just staring at each other, eye gazing. And I'm like, yeah. What's, what is wrong with you weirdos? Like what is yeah. going on here? And so yeah. in the midst of this transformation, this, this it took me a long time, like a couple of years to realize this. But when I got to the island is when I became deeply depressed. For six months, I was in mm. absolute misery and I became suicidal. So I was having flashes of just turning my bike into traffic. Or if I went on a hike and was up on a big cliff, I, I mean, I would just see myself taking a step. And, and, then, and then I would catch myself like, like I awoke from a dream. And I was like, oh, 
oh my God, I don't, I don't want that. And it would terrify mm. me. So I started to get really concerned with my, my livelihood in my life because I was really concerned that what happened if that, if that thought went too far and became a reality, there's no taking that back. You don't, you don't get to just go, oh, yeah. actually halfway down the cliff. I was just kidding. I didn't really want that. You don't get that. And so it yeah. really, really scared me. And I was training in yoga, meditation, Reiki, uh, rebirthing, holotropic, holotropic breath, uh, Qigong, and I mean, anything I could possibly get my hands on. And things were getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I was about to give up. I literally was about to give up. And it was about that time that I met Niraj, the founder of Soma Breath. And I did one breathwork session and it changed my life completely. I saw a glimmer of light inside of myself that I hadn't seen. And I don't know if I've ever seen it to that degree. And it brought me so much joy. And that was enough to just change the trajectory of how I viewed myself, how I view others and moments and situations in life. And, and it was enough that I, I went to him after the session and I said, I have to know more. I have to know more. Teach me everything you know. What did you just do to me? And, and so we hung out for a few days and I picked his brain as much as I could. And yeah, that he asked us, do you guys want to do uh, an instructor training? And we said, yeah. And well, it was over three and a half years ago. And that was the very first Soma instructor training. And that is what actually started the growth and evolution of Soma Breath is uh, an actual online training program got it got it um so you mentioned that you were on this new island mm -hmm. with new people and you found because of where you had come from you you found a lot of people too hippie for you you know wearing white all the time like a different vibe altogether and i think that in part contributed to your depression that you were having uh because you made a decision to move to that island for good right uh, and so so what mindset shift did you have after doing the breath work that you now began to see the same island and the same people differently? And from what I understand, you're thriving there because you're connecting with a lot of people and sort of building your spiritual community. So what, what shifted? So what I, what I realized through this whole depression was that I had actually lost my identity. Okay. So I identified myself as a young entrepreneur, a building engineer, Whitney Solutions, LLC. That was my business name. <laughs> and, and I wore my stress on, like a badge, like a tattoo. Like, oh, yeah, I'm stressed and I deal with it. And, and so I, I had built this ego around being in this corporate environment being and, and trying to be super successful. I had the penthouse apartment, big trucks, fancy cars. Uh, you know what I mean? We, we went on trips every single weekend and uh, we were really living it up. But I had created an identity. When I got to the island, um, I lost that identity. And mm. that was a, a journey of complete confusion. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't mm. know anything. And, but I didn't know this. So I was going through this blind because I had no awareness and no one had taught me about these types of things. And so I was just constantly going through it, wondering what, what, what the F was wrong with me. And uh, yeah, I later found out that it was this identity, this ego. And, and when I was surrounded by, you know, all the people wearing white and the yogis and all this stuff, I started to self-destruct. 
and said, oh, I need to be like them. If I'm not mm. like them, then my partner will want to be with me. She wants right. to be here on this island to be a yogi. I need to be a yogi. So yeah. man, that, literally, I wasn't on the island for 10 days. And mm. I joined a 30-day yoga intensive uh, retreat, uh, teaching yeah. training, 30 straight days, 12 hours a day. It was intense. And I'd never done yoga before. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> one of my first yoga classes was um, actually in my yoga teacher training. And so, but that's the thing is through this ego and through this identification that I had built this facade about myself, what happened is during that, that breathwork session, the satisfaction came from within. So if you think about it, when we build an identity through ourselves, it's, it's something to do with our external environment that mm -hmm. we're, that we're getting in like more of a material thing. And that's what validates us. That's what makes us feel like we're important. Okay. That's how we identify ourselves is this person with this much money doing this job. And, but this is what will bring so much pain. And that's why it's so important to have passion and to be doing what you love and, and, and letting that energy move through you. Otherwise it can be detrimental to your life. And so it, that, that was the only difference. I got validation. My identity was my title and name of my business, the amount of money that I made and all the toys that I had. And mm -hmm. that's the, the conditioning that I, that I had built through my entire uh, career. So when I got to the Island, all that was gone, but I still had an identity that I was trying to attach to. Um, and so, yeah, once I, I saw that glimmer of light on the inside, everything shifted because I realized I don't need to have an identity. I am myself. I am guided. I am supported. My mother's here. Um, money comes in when I need it. I've never, I, you know, I can do this. I can do anything. I can get through this. I can help people. This is amazing. And so I didn't need an identity anymore. Mm. I was part of the, of, of the universal consciousness. I was part of this divine flow that um, surrounds us in all waking moments. All of us are a part of this. You have so much joy, excitement, and love that exists inside of you, but it's these forms I have. Things, uh, ego, that actually stop you from accessing that, that true light within. Um, and so that's why kind of they say, you know, look inward or go inside or one of those things, you know, because it's, it's true. Everything you need exists inside of you. I was looking for everything else around me. And in that session, I got to I got to look at myself. I just look at I took a look in the mirror, basically, and it showed me exactly what I needed to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how our sense of identity, which is formed mostly by our ego, can force us to either do or not do or not try out something new because we attach our sense of self-worth or our, who we are or who we think we are to our former selves. And as you've mentioned, mostly validated by external stuff. And so no wonder why when you were in a way pushing beyond your comfort zone with different people, different surroundings, different experiences, you're yourself was trying to attach that old identity, but that was not there any longer. And this is something that a lot of people I'm sure who listen to this podcast are going, are going through to uh, going through right now, because it feels like metaphorically they've decided to make a change. And now from the boat that they were in, 
are jumping into the cold, cold water. <laughs> and now they don't have anything to hold on to. And so they have to either learn to swim or maybe for some time be comfortable with the discomfort of attempting to float. <laughs> yeah, so that's so interesting. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And that's also a, a really good comment too, because if you think about it, now is a time to do it with certain forms of isolation and quarantines going on and things like that. Um, there, there's beauty that exists outside of your own conditioning when you find your passion, when you find love, when you find that connection. But it's terrifying to think that you can actually do it. And so we want to stay safe. We want to stay comfortable. But that comfortable is our ego. It is our identity. And that identity is not always aligned with your highest power and your highest self. And so, you know, I challenge the listeners to, to question certain things in your life. And if it's, if it's not bringing you the ultimate joy, then maybe, maybe it's something that doesn't need to be a part of your life. And that doesn't mean that we always stay safe and comfortable. Like you said, finding comfort in the discomfort. But this is, a, I think, a really good time to question those things and, and where you're needing to get your validation and that accreditation and, and start pointing your energy in places that make you really feel good. Interesting. Now, the type of breath work that you do and I do is called Soma breath, right? And there are many other types of breath work out there. So how is Soma breath different from the others? One of the core, core things with Soma that differentiates from any other breathwork modality that I have found is the rhythmic breathing. And you hear about like conscious connected breathing, okay? <clears throat> and people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I do, I do rhythmic breathing. All breathwork sessions are rhythmic breathing. Okay, well, the thing that you have to understand is that if you have your breath is directly tied to your thoughts, your feelings, and emotions. So if you have erratic breathing, then you're going to have erratic thoughts. If you have erratic thoughts, you're going to have erratic feelings. Those feelings turn into emotions and your emotional state is how you perceive the world around you. So if you're in a, in a crappy mood, <clears throat> you see the storm rolling in over the, over the mountains. If you are in a beautiful, happy, joyful mood, then you see the sun peeking through those clouds. You know, it's how we perceive, but it has to do with our emotional state. Okay. And so uh, the importance of rhythmic breathing is actually really, really, really important. Nature works off of rhythms. Everything that surrounds us works off of rhythms. We have rhythms in our internal body. We have uh, ultracadian rhythms, circadian rhythms, uh, cardiovascular, yeah, cardiovascular rhythms, uh, circulatory rhythms. Everything in our body is rhythmic. So when we breathe to specific rhythms then we create a set of actions and reactions that happen inside of our physiology. And this can be from really increasing your energy, heart rate, uh, getting fully activated, releasing shots of adrenaline to the complete opposite where you're becoming such in a deep, relaxed state that your body has the ability to heal and to restore balance back to its, its natural state, which is very energized, powerful, and, and, you know, beautiful. So, the cool thing is that it's not most breathwork that you'll find. It's just one thing. And that's what I see as kind of the Americanized version of pranayama, okay, is breathwork. Mm -hmm. I don't really see breathwork so much as 
breathing. Mm. Breath work is like ceremony and let's sit. And most people have a misconception with it as well. They think it's, uh, you know, a bunch of weirdos and like this person's over here crying and this person's over here laughing and screaming. This person's shaking on the floor. No, 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 no. I, like, yes, that does happen. It does exist. Trust me. I've been a part of many of those, <laughs> but that's not the way it has to be. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about Soma is that when you learn about these different rhythms, the rate at which you breathe, the ratio in which you breathe, the speed, um, the rhythm, all of it is going to create a different set of actions inside of your mind and your body. So now mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're creating a whole different approach on what is considered breath work. And this is what I like to kind of uh, deliver to people in regards to Soma is that it's pranayama. It's a full holistic approach on how to use your breath to expand every aspect and part of the internal world and your external world. And when you breathe in a rhythm, you create this coherence, you create these actions, these reactions. So basically you're controlling the dials on your entire mind and your body. And this is something that I, I find really, really powerful. And the fact that the rhythms are designed to specific music and those beats are having you breathe in that special rhythm. This is, this is a game changer. And so mm. I don't see Soma breath as, as breath work per se. I see it as the origins of ancient pranayama. And, and that's, you know, pranayama. It's the control of life force energy. Your breath is your life force. So I think this is really what sep di differentiates Soma mm -hmm. from everybody else. Soma is pranayama. Yeah. Uh, most of the other ones are just one. It's one breathwork style. That's it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then people think, oh, this didn't work for this. Oh, this isn't working for that. It's because mm -hmm. there's not a one size fits all. That's, that's, the, that's the incorrect approach for especially somebody's health and wellness not one routine or one thing is going to work for every single person. We're all at different walks and phases of our lives. And that's something I really appreciate about Soma is they, they, we train the instructors to take it a step farther. You know, it's what can be applied to the person in the state that they're in now. And then we as trained, you know, instructors and uh, parts of this community, we then apply a method, a routine, you know, in accordance and alignment with the person in the condition that they're at and where they're trying to go. And so mm -hmm. this is, a, is, is the, it's more of a professional, deeper approach uh, because you have to engage with your clients. You need to find out like, who are you? What are your goals? What are your challenges? What's things that have happened to you in your life? And, and then let's start to peel those layers back and then let's start plugging in methods and routines that are just going to chip away at this, at this, you know, iceberg kind of thing. And, and, mm -hmm. and eventually get it to a point where they have become empowered and now they can use these tools to continually grow into the person that they want to become. And so, as you can see, it's a, uh, it's much deeper, much, much deeper than people may, uh, may even know or understand. And so this is what I really appreciate about Soma and what I really think differentiates them from any other breathwork modalities. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For sure. I mean, one of the things I like is that it stems and it draws from uh, pranayama, right? So it draws from yoga. So it's literally tried and tested and experimented with and proven in all these practices that we're now using. And like you've pointed out, it's not just this one technique that you can use for these awakening ceremonies, which is definitely part of uh, Soma, but there are other practices that you can do on a daily basis in a safe manner, whether it's in the morning or even the evening to get better sleep. And you can use these different techniques and approaches along with the music to be very intentional in your approach towards health. And the byproduct is that you get more, more and more fascinated about the science and the why and the endurance part of it and why, you know, what's the evidence behind this and what's the research? Yeah, it, it draws from science and ancient wisdom, but you get excited when you know that all these things are backed up by so much of evidence and research and science. A hundred percent. I mean, how many times have you, I don't know if you know much about like Kundalini and Kundalini Kriyas, but do this Kriya for 42 days and if you do this Kriya, it'll detox your liver. This one for your kidney, this one for your gallbladder. And I mean, I would read these ancient texts and from these yogis. Why? Why? And I could never figure it out. No one could ever show me and prove. So it was like, I, I couldn't fully trust it to a, a certain degree because it was like, no, you have to trust. That's how it works. And I'm like, but again, where's the why here? Uh, mm. Just not, not trying to be rude, but just out of curiosity and education, can you tell me why? Because uh, mm. you're moving the prana. Uh, dang it. <laughs> and so <laughs> no, I really appreciate you you saying that because, uh, yeah, I have yet to, I've trained, I've spent tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars training. And I have yet to find uh, really any modality and regardless of where it came from, whether it's yoga, meditation, that can actually show you, it can bridge the gap between the ancient text, the origins and modern day science and bridge that gap and show the correlation and connection between the two. This is something that Soma goes really deep on. I mean, so deep. And, and I have so much respect for that because I think people, you know, uh, having that why is a, mm -hmm. is a great way to empower yourselves. It really, really is. Because I, I never liked it when teachers, I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of my health teachers, when I started training and all these things, they tell you what to do. Mm. Nope, you have to do this. This is how right. you do it. This is how you get enlightened. This is how you do this. And it never seemed right to me. I was like, this just doesn't seem right. Why are you telling yep. me that I need to do it this way? And I followed that, that guidance. And mm. that brought me tons of suffering. <laughs> I mean, so much <laughs> suffering. Because now I had to put all of my power into someone else's hands. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, and it made me confused. Because again, I didn't know how to navigate through this. Um, right. But understanding that why, this empowers you. You start to wake up. That's why we call it the, the Soma awakening routine because this is creating an environment and a container when you're doing these, these sessions that you mm -hmm. begin to wake up and you wake up to what it is that truly makes you happy, what it is that you actually want, what it is that, you know, um, you know, like a future vision even. And so I, I think this is really important, especially with all the, the access to content and information online nowadays, 
Um, mm -hmm. I think having this why is really important for people to educate themselves and feel like they get it. They understand now. Uh, at least that's how it was for me. What about what about yourself when you went through it? No, for sure. I mean, I think I love the the mindset and the principle of asking why. If you look at the you you know people might think that you know with the introduction of religion, there's a lot of religiosity that comes along with yoga. But if you look at the yo yogis, they were actually scientists. They were very experimental in their approach because they wanted to replicate the same results. And their laboratory was, was the mind. Uh, and if you look at the ancient Vedas, the first Veda is the Rig Veda. The first hymn of the Rig Veda is, is called the Nasatya Sukta. And the whole hymn is full of questions, questioning everything around you. And the last, the last part of that hymn is, who is God? Perhaps even he does not know. <laughs> so, so it was all about asking questions and I totally go along with it. I think it's good to have a healthy level of skepticism because that sense of curiosity and seekingness will at least make you want to find out what the truth is and not be, you know, held to your own version of truth, which might be true or might not be true. So, you know, speaking about the why, what's the significance behind holding your breath when we do the breathwork sessions? What does it do for you? Or us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is really, really, really cool, actually. And it's something that I, I feel people don't really talk about much. There's something really, really magical that happens when you hold your breath uh, more specifically out. So when you remove all the air from your lungs and you hold. So uh, there's a cascade of, uh, of health effects and benefits. And I could go on and on and on. But one of the really interesting things is that when you hold your breath out, you start to alter the um, oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. So there's a big misconception uh, that from most people, and it's that we need to breathe more. Breathe more, breathe deep. Okay, same thing, a lot of other modalities. And I'm not saying anything negative about them because they're all beautiful. They all have a place, they all have a purpose. Um, but, but, But when you hold your breath out, you start to alter this oxygen and CO2, okay? So when you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen. And when you exhale, you breathe out carbon dioxide. And for most people, we're taught, especially in school, is that carbon dioxide is bad. It's a waste product. It's only there to extinguish your exhale. But actually, it's a magical molecule. One of the most important parts of your life, your longevity, and your health is controlled by carbon dioxide which is really, really fascinating. So when you hold your breath out, what happens is you start to lower oxygen levels in your bloodstream, okay? Your oxygen saturation level will go down and you'll start to build up CO2 levels. And this is where the magic starts to happen, okay? So when you breathe in, oxygen binds to a red blood cell, okay? Um, it goes through the mitochondria, binds to a red blood cell um, through the um, combination of uh, hemoglobin, okay? And then it moves into circulation in the bloodstream. Okay. And then we're, we're at that point, we're hoping that the oxygen will then get carried into our muscles, our tissues, other cells and organs in our body so that they can thrive. They can actually survive because oxygen does, it equals energy. So we need oxygen. But here's the interesting thing is if we do not have the proper CO2 levels, then that oxygen is not leaving the red blood cell. 
It's going to stay bound. So CO2 is this activant that releases the oxygen from the red blood cell and allows it to go into your muscles, your tissues, your other cells, your organs, your brain. And these are vital, vital parts of your human physiology that need oxygen to survive. Okay. So this is really interesting just in itself. So just by holding your breath out, you're altering this pH of your bloodstream and you're altering the usage and efficiency of how your body um, distri distributes oxygen. And this is really fascinating. And so to take that even one layer deeper is <clears throat> another interesting thing happens. This is one of my favorite parts about holding your breath out is that you um, produce a growth hormone called EPO. Okay. And this growth hormone produces red blood cells. And like you heard me just say, when we breathe in, oxygen binds to red blood cell. We have mitochondria in the, in the blood cell as well. And this mitochondria is what converts oxygen into energy. It's ATP energy. It's the currency or exchange of energy in the body. Um, and all of that exists inside of this cell. So when we hold our breath out and we, we lower that oxygen level and we build up CO2, that CO2, that increase in CO2 is going to trigger the production of more red blood cells. And so now you have more little soldiers inside of your body to carry around oxygen. So mm -hmm. at this point, you don't need so much oxygen. You actually can have less. And in pranayama, the less you breathe, the longer you live. It's actually about breathing less, slow it down. Look at, look at nature, just like you were talking about the Ayurvedic system and the ancient yogis, what they did, they were scientists and what they did is they observed nature. And one thing that they found is animals that have a really slow rate of breathing, like two, three breaths a minute, like a, an elephant or a turtle, they live like a hundred years, 120 years. It's mm -hmm. amazing. If you look at a rodent that breathes 40, 50, 60 times a minute, their lifespan is a few years. And so it's really important. That's how they learned that slowing down the rate of breathing, how important that is, suspending your breath. So holding your breath out for brief periods. Okay. When you do that, you give the body less oxygen. You provide a lower than normal um, ox uh, oxygen saturation level. When that happens, the body has to adapt and how it does is it starts to figure out how to be more efficient at using oxygen because it has less oxygen. That makes sense. So that you, you literally force your body to say, okay, we have less oxygen. We need to figure out what to do here. We've got to, we got to reorganize. we got to get really efficient, get on duty and let's go. Let's get to work to make sure that, you know, this person can still thrive and, and be healthy. And, uh, and that's why. Um, the production of this growth hormone happens is so that you have more red blood cells to carry around the oxygen. So you don't have to, your body doesn't have to work so hard because oxidative stress is, is a silent killer. This concept, breathe more, breathe deeper. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not, not, not need more oxygen. Okay. Oxygen um, will create uh, degenerative diseases. So Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, all of this is coming from too much oxygen and not using the oxygen correctly inside of the body. And so this is just one of my favorite uh, 
topics about holding your breath. There's many more like in regards to the circulation of stem cells and what it does to the nervous system, releasing tryptamines, even uh, like DMT and other things like that. All of these things can, can be applied and be happening when you hold your breath out. But I find it really interesting that I can produce more red blood cells by holding out my breath that allows my body to use oxygen more effectively. And I find that to be really, really important, especially because oxygen is vital to your life and mm. it also is the silent killer. And so you need to make sure that you're, you're using it correctly. Otherwise, uh, well, that's, that's what slows down your mitochondria. That's when your hair gets gray. That's when your skin gets wrinkly. You become fatigued. You can't sleep well. This is because your mitochondria has become weakened. It's been mm -hmm. used too much, too hard. It's been run through the washing machine. And my, your mitochondria, because it goes oxygen to ATP energy. It's, a, it's the, um, oh, the transition of that exchange. They, your mitochondria uses the most oxygen in any other, any other part of your body. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of this and Action Tribe. I hope you are listening to what is being shared, but basically CO2, carbon dioxide, might not be the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. <laughs> and just like the yin and yang of life, uh, you need oxygen, which is vital and it's important, but you also need CO2. And like we're learning today, um, CO2 not only ensures that, you, that the oxygen that you're breathing in gets to where it needs to, which is the cellular mitochondria for energy production. But also when you hold your breath out, you're increasing your body's uh, production of red blood cells. So increasing your capacity to take more oxygen, increasing your capacity to produce more energy. And guess what? At four o'clock in the afternoon, what you need is to feel energized and vibrant. And by breathing in a certain way, you will get that energy. And many of you might have noticed certain elite performers, athletes going high up in the mountains, wearing these masks, or maybe wearing masks, you know, on the ground. And maybe right now it might be confusing because everyone's wearing masks, but these are different types of masks uh, for, for, for these performers. And they're doing it specifically because of what we're discussing right now is to increase their capacity to carry oxygen, increase their efficiency for uh, carrying oxygen, but also for uh, becoming more building stamina and increasing their endurance. So this is an amazing topic and we can go on for hours and hours together. Uh, and, and you sort of alluded to the fact that breathing incorrectly, in other words, if we take in too much of oxygen, that can actually lead to certain diseases, right? Autoimmune conditions and diseases later on if they go unchecked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's this... It's this uh, interesting word, actually. It's called respiratory alkalosis. Okay. And this is the rusting effect that happens to like a car. Okay. So you leave a car out in a field for 10 or 15, 20 years, however long, it's going to rust. And that rust is created from oxygen. Okay. So oxygen wears things down. It, it literally breaks them down. It creates a rusting effect. And respiratory alkalosis is when you have such high levels of oxygen, you're not using it because if, if you don't give it to the muscles and tissues, it just stays in circulation. You're flooding yourself with oxygen. But that's going to make your the pH of your blood super alkaline. Mm. And this is dangerous because one, your cells will do the same thing. They'll start to rust. 
and break down. And that's when your um, immune system is weak and, and can be infiltrated and you can become ill. Um, again, Alzheimer's, dementia, all these other things. But another interesting thing with this, this concept of respiratory alkalosis is when your, when your blood is that alkaline, this is how intelligent the mind or the body and the mind, how it's all communicating. When it becomes that alkaline, well, then it needs to balance the pH. Mm-hmm. If it goes too far, you'll die. Um, and so uh, the body then needs to balance the pH. So what is it going to do? It's going to take a part of the body, put it in the bloodstream to bring down the alkaline uh, to make a more balanced pH, you know? And so where do we produce acid in the body? In the stomach? Or in our stomach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So to balance the pH, the body's going to start to steal acid from the stomach. And that's going to keep your yourself away from this respiratory alkalosis, which is very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Um, and so now at this point, you don't have the proper acid to break down food in your digestive system. So then what happens? You're not getting the nutrients that you need. So now you don't have the energy that you need. Okay. The other thing is if you're not breaking down that food properly, then you have toxins that are sitting in your gut that are going to give you digestive issues, um, irritable bowel syndrome. And the, and the most dangerous thing is when those toxins stay in there, um, they can eat away at the lining of your gut and you could have like a leaky gut syndrome. And now you have toxins leaking out to other parts of your body. And this is when um, like chronic and autoimmune diseases can be created. And a lot of them are created actually from uh, too much oxygen. And that's why the, the yogis and the, the ancient shamans and the, the rishis, they would go in, in high altitudes and they would live till they were 100 years old. They are, they, they're 80 years old and they look like they're 50. Mm. But it's because they, they live in an environment that has less oxygen. So they're not dealing with that, that, that amount of oxidative stress. So this respiratory alkalosis, you guys should look it up. It's really, really, really interesting how your cells have the same um, kind of relationship with oxygen as a car does that sits outside for too long. And, uh, and so when you, when you read up and look into this, it makes you realize how important it is to breathe properly. Yeah, this is also a very tangible example of how intelligent the human body is, is that it's always on the lookout for, you know, keeping you alive, <laughs> but also providing you that advantage uh, in terms of balance. And sometimes when it does this, it might it might lead to homeostasis in one part of your body in terms of restoring pH, but then, you know, the, the acid, the important and crucial and vital acid that is needed for digestion in your stomach is not there anymore. So this is really fascinating. And uh, Steve, this podcast is called My Seven Chakras, right? And uh, when you think about the chakras, what you think about especially is the root chakra or the pelvic region of the body. Um, and so maybe if you could talk about our pelvic region and what's the significance of this, re- uh, this region when it comes to uh, emotional healing and, and using the breath to, to let go or to, you know, reprogram or whatever that might be. What's the significance of the pelvic region in our evolution? 
Wow, what an interesting question. You're asking me, what is the significance of the pelvic region? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that doesn't know the chakra system and the pelvic floor, uh, or also known as the, the Mula Bandha, um, that's a real interesting question you're leading here with, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's hilarious. So this is this is really interesting, actually. And Oh, I just love all these topics. Oh my goodness. I love them. So your pelvic floor for you that, that don't know, it's a isolated muscle that basically exists between your, your genitals basically, and your anus. And it's a very specific muscle. And the cool thing is that it's directly tied to your central nervous system. Hmm. And so you can actually alter your physiology just by using that muscle. So example, you can raise and lower your heart rate. Like you could shoot your heart rate through the roof just by using that pelvic floor. And then when the heart rate raises like that, the sympathetic nervous system gets activated and then comes the release of adrenaline. And so just sitting down, you can learn how to lock and pull that muscle and it's actually going to give you a natural shot of energy. And so it's really, really cool. It's also going to have a direct correlation to your body temperature. So like Wim Hof, that's what, that's what Wim Hof does to stay warm. Obviously there's a mental aspect to it. That's very important. Your nervous system needs to become strong to handle super cold, uh, you know, uh, temperatures and water. But any of you that do a uh, ice bath, so and uh, myself, and I'm sure a lot of listeners, do you guys take cold showers or do you go into an ice plunge, something of that nature? And if you haven't, I highly recommend that you do. But when you get into the ice, one of the first things that you should do is lock that pelvic floor muscle and use a breathing rhythm. So like in for two and out for one, breathing in more than you're breathing out. This is because we need to raise the heart rate, activate the sympathetic nervous system. This is not the proper way to breathe on a daily basis. This is too much oxygen and we're not holding enough CO2. But if you're in ice and you need to raise your body temperature, then you breathe in twice as much as you breathe out. And then you just do that for a few seconds, maybe 10 breaths. And then you lock this, this root, this pelvic floor, and boom, your body temperature is going to rise. Your heart rate's going to increase. Sympathetic nervous system gets activated. And, and it, you can sit in the ice, no problem. So, uh, I encourage you guys, I challenge you to use this method and you'll be blown away on how much it actually helps. And, and the other interesting thing too, is that, so prana, right? Every breath is an electric energy. Okay. We are electric beings. We're energy beings. Okay. We have trillions of atoms and cells and, and they hold an electrical charge. Okay. And so we can move this prana and this charge, okay, this electrical energy or charge, we can move it around the body as we breathe. Your breath is circular. So you're going to be circulating this energy, okay? And the other interesting thing here is that when you build up that energy, and this is what we do in Soma, is you use the breath to build up your level of vibrational energy, to charge it up. This is why visualization is so, such, so powerful in Soma is because you create visualizations and then you charge yourself up, your feelings, your emotions, you charge it up with the rhythmic breathing. 
And then what you do is if you hold your breath in, okay, and then lock that pelvic floor muscle after you've generated this heavy charge, um, what you're going to do is you're going to create an upward pressure. And now you're going to increase the blood flow to your most important organ, which would be your brain, <laughs> one of the most important organs. So yet this part of your, uh, you know, of your um, body, it needs oxygen. It needs blood flow to be able to survive. Okay. If you have too less of oxygen, then you can damage brain cells. So it's important that we provide that. So using this pelvic floor muscle after charging yourself up with breathing is going to increase that nutrients, that um, uh, blood flow, which is carrying oxygen to your brain, okay? The other interesting thing with this is that when you breathe, you move cerebral spinal fluid, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is a protector for the brain. And it's also a triggering activator for your pineal gland and your pituitary. So when you move that cerebral spinal fluid around and then you hold your breath in, okay? And because every time you breathe in and out, your spine moves a little bit and it actually works the cerebral spinal fluid up. This uh, It's a really, really important um, aspect of our bodies. And then when you hold your breath in and lock that pelvic floor, then all of that rises up and ends up in your uh, pituitary. So the cerebral spinal fluid hits the pituitary gland and there's a, there's a pressure of some sort. And this is actually then going to trigger the pineal. And this is why you have sometimes these uh, almost psychedelic experiences um, because it's the combination of oxygen, blood flow, cerebral spinal fluid, and using that pelvic floor muscle. And this is just increases this energy activating the, the master gland. Your pineal is your master gland uh, for your entire endocrine system. So this is a very important part of your health and your happiness is your pineal. Okay. And so when you can give it good nutrients like that by using the pelvic floor after charging up the energy, this is huge for your creativity, your focus, the release of feel good hormones. I mean, I, I love it. I, I love saying, uh, what was it? Um, you can actually manufacture your own happiness. Mm. One of our testimonials, there's a guy that says, wow, I felt like I just manufactured my own happiness. And that really stuck with me. But when you learn about how you can activate these glands, these hormones, these neurotransmitters, all by changing the oxygen, the CO2, using the pelvic floor muscle. It's amazing how you literally can manufacture your own happiness. It's amazing. It really is. So, Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because for somebody who is listening you know, to this show right now, this podcast right now, we've been told for the longest time, especially as we're growing up, that we have little to no control over our, our autonomic nervous system, right? The aspects and the functioning of our body, whether it's blood pressure, heart rate, uh, you know, our body temperature and the chemicals that our body can secrete. But like we're finding out using breath work and using certain breath work techniques, we're actually able to influence our entire physiology, depending on what outcome we're hoping to achieve. So for example, many of our listeners know that on January 2nd, I'm doing a polar plunge into the oceans here in Vancouver, and it's pretty cold here. But I'm doing that firstly to push beyond my comfort zone. But guess what we're going to do before we go into the cold waters is we're going to do the same breathing technique two by one to generate some inner heat, raise the body temperature, 
visualize the outcome. So visualize getting into the cold water and actually being in the water and coming out vibrant, energized, really inspired, charged up and ready to start the day. But the point through all of this explanation <laughs> is to realize that you are fully in control of your life. And by just learning certain um, techniques and mantras and mudras and locks and ways to hold your body and breathe, you are in effect taking control of your life, which as a metaphor is very powerful, right? So thanks for that wonderful explanation, Steve. Um, let's talk about the one of the breathing techniques that we do, which is the heart coherence breathing, where we're sort of balancing the in-breaths and the out-breaths, which leads to heart coherence. So for listeners who are curious, what is heart coherence? What does it do for us? <laughs> so this is really, really cool. And I, I really recommend any listeners that you guys go check out the Heart Math Institute. They have done extensive research on this topic of heart coherence. And it, it, it's absolutely amazing. It, it, it's so cool. So coherence is the optimization of the functions of your physiology. Okay. And so like I was saying earlier on the call, nature works off of rhythms from the tide coming in and out, the rise and fall, the sun and the moon, seasons, flowers opening and closing. Everything is rhythmic. Our bodies are also rhythmic. Okay. And so this is really, really, really important. And oh, I, I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Yeah. There you are. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was, what was your question again? So you were talking about heart coherence and the importance of rhythm, you know, in, in our life. So when when you realize when you breathe in, your heart rate goes up and your sympathetic nervous system gets activated, your blood pressure rises. Okay. When you breathe out, your heart rate slightly goes down and your blood pressure drops and you activate more of your parasympathetic. Okay. So <clears throat> that's really important to understand when you're trying to create a state inside of your mind and your body, whether for relaxation or energy. But what about the, the balance, the same inhale as you have exhale. Okay. And now what's happening is you're creating, it's like a well-oiled machine. It's the difference. If your breathing isn't continuous of this same inhale as it is the exhale, okay, then the body is out of rhythm. And this is, this is going to, like, the way I like to explain this, it's like a garage band, you know, like in a high school garage band someone's always missing a note or not hitting the drum just right. And it sounds like crap, you know, like mm. great job, but it, it it's contracting. Okay. Mm. Um, coherence, this optimization is like a symphony when everyone is in tune and the orchestra is playing in, in absolute synchronicity, you know, it's incoherence. So the same thing happens to our body. And the interesting thing with this, and th this is really fascinating is through the heart mass research, what they found. So we think that the brain sends signals to the heart and the heart reacts, right? And because this is like our motherboard, our brain, you know, this is one that's sending all the signals to everything else. 
But is that they, I believe they found like 50,000 neurons in the heart. And so that meant that there was a communication line. And what they found was there were more signals from the heart to the brain than there is from the brain to the heart. And so that means the communication line is more strong. It's more dominant from your heart to your brain than from your brain to your heart. Mm. This is a, an interesting concept. <clears throat> so if we recap a little bit about what we were talking about earlier, so every time you breathe, you induce a heartbeat. Mm. Okay. So every time you breathe in, like I said, your heart rate goes up. Every time you breathe out, your heart rate goes down. Okay. So if we, so our breath directly influences a heartbeat, that's exactly what triggers the heartbeat. That's why breathing in a rhythm creates that rhythmic heartbeat. And now the circulation and the communication of all of these things are working in rhythm. Mm, 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 mm. And now what you can do is start to send those signals from your heart to your brain. And mm -hmm. what I mean by these signals is when you put the, the body in coherence and you put the heart into this coherent state, what the research has shown is that this leads to those elevated feelings, love, gratitude, passion, excitement. So the more that we can be in coherence, the more of those signals we're going to send to the brain of that, that higher frequency, you know, of that, that feel good sensation. And this is really, really important because, um, again, manufacturing your own happiness. You are literally putting the body into a harmonic aligned state where it's going to start to send more positive signals to your brain. Then your brain reacts, sends all the other signals and, and triggers all the other receptors to then start reacting the same way. So it goes basically heart to the brain. And those signals are positive feelings of love and joy and excitement. And then the brain then sends the rest of the signals and, and triggers the receptors in the rest of your body to react the same way. And so now you're, you're communicating with the mind and the body, and you're able to create an environment for you to achieve and reach those, those high vibration um, emotions. So this is really about your emotional state. And also the quality of your physiology because again, the heart is in rhythm. Then our circulation is all in rhythm and everything it's at symphony. Everyone's in tune and in key. And it's, it's just an amazing experience. So you'll, you'll mm. fall into trance when you do it. It's really, really cool because you do, you become fully, fully aligned and your thoughts will quiet and you'll just, you'll enter into a spate of, state of really oneness and that is coherence very very true and i love your explanation and for someone who is listening right now maybe you're listening um in transit or even at home you're enjoying this but you're missing out on a key aspect of our experience which is the live stream and the video so know that we do these live streams as well which is even more fun because you can watch it as it is being recorded right so remember that and the, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, I feel, I sense that our listeners sort of know that the heart is a really critical aspect of our being, that we're finding out that the heart actually, in many instances, can override uh, signals or instructions or you know orders from the brain. But it's wonderful that HeartMath has now validated 
what we knew intuitively that the heart knows what it wants, so to speak. Uh, and we sometimes assume that we are this one, one human being, right? But if you look at it at a microscopic level, we're actually a country. We're a nation of cells. So we have these cells, we have organs and tissues. And like you've sort of pointed out, if each you know, cell behaves individually, that might not be actually good for the whole nation, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if we engage in this beautiful balanced way of breathing, where we balance the in-breaths and balance the exhales, we reach a state of coherence. And like you pointed out, synchronicity. And then we are able to synchronize the heart and the brain. And then if we have the right music, we, you know, using the human frequency, we're able to connect with the earth's vibration and we reach a state of transcendence where, you know, we feel grateful. We feel one, we feel united, we feel connected because we are able to override the limited or negative thoughts that we sometimes get from the left part of the brain. And we feel better. So, so I mean, it's it's fascinating when we're able to explain a state that we've achieved using vibrations, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that's the other thing to keep in mind too is when you're in a state of coherence, mm. the the heart has a, an energetic field, and it's a vortex. So it goes out and it comes back in, goes up and out, comes back in. This means that it's projecting out, but it's also pulling back in. So mm -hmm. when we get into a state of coherence, then we actually expand that electric field. Okay. Are we actually have an electric field? This is, this isn't woo woo stuff. This is scientific proven um, that we actually have an energetic field around us. And again, the heart math has done this research that you actually can expand and, and charge up that field when you're in a state of coherence. So this All is right. a moment where, cause your, your thoughts are have a relationship with your breath. Your quality of thoughts are going to have a lot to do with your breathing. So when you create a state of coherence through breathing, then you align the thoughts, you align the body, you elevate the feeling. And guys, this is a beautiful moment to call in intention, to start to create a visualization for your reality. You want to create or bend your reality. This is the state that you want to be in. You want to create those intentions in that state of coherence. Okay, because you're in an aligned, balanced state, you're going to make proper decisions. The communication lines are going to be open and communicating properly. Set your intentions in a coherent space. And then to charge it up, uh, you, you get breathing even faster. But that getting in that coherent state, this is going to make you a magnet um, to really start pulling things into your life. So uh, really, really use this um, as much as you possibly can because it's going to do amazing things for your ability to not only be happy, but to also create your reality, which is a pretty pow powerful thing. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting also is that when we are in the state of coherence, we're tapping into the quantum field, right? So it's not about physical space or even time. A lot of these sessions we do uh, when I'm doing these sessions live on Zoom, people are joining from all around the world and people feel the sense of connection even though they're not right in front of the other person, but the sense of connection because they're able to, you know, synchronize each of our hearts with the other person, which works across time and space. So that is so interesting, right? That we're able to tap into a field that transcends, 
the limitations of space and of time. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah, I think I think towards the end of this year, maybe for New Year's, we were having a discussion the other day about the next upcoming like breath fest. We do breath fest every few months for the community. And I'd really, I don't know about your thoughts on this, but it goes right aligned with what you just said. So if that is happening and we can access this quantum space, you know, where there is no space or time and you can have that connection, we're all intertwined in this universal consciousness, this field. Okay. So if that is the case, and I believe that it is, then do you have any idea what the power in numbers actually is? So I, I think that we could literally change the weather with enough people tuning mm. in to the same thought, the same intention, and and synchronizing the rhythm and accessing that field. And so I would love to see the next breath fest be a global breathwork session where everyone gets in coherence. And we mm. all tune into the same intention. We pick something for global healing or something with nature or, uh, you know, even, even the economy or COVID, I mean, anything. Uh, but I truly believe that what you just said is so relevant and it's so true, but who's doing it? Why mm. in the world are we not getting millions of people together to breathe in the same rhythm with a, a an aligned vision or intention? Doesn't even have to be the same, but aligned. And I, I'd be willing to bet magic would happen. Absolute magic. I don't even know what would happen because it's almost that that unfathomable, that powerful. Uh, yeah. Because as an individual, we're very powerful. We can manifest, we can create, we can attract in, we can repel off, and we can reach optimized states. But mm. collective coherence, this yeah. is the intertwining of fields like you were talking about. I mean, yeah, it's like you couldn't you couldn't even fathom what you could create and do with a, a group of people all doing it at the same time in the same rhythm. It would just it would just be magical. So I, I think we should try and put it together, man. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, if somebody is listening to this episode right now, firstly start questioning the uh, self limited uh, you know uh, limitations that maybe society has put on you in terms of what you can or cannot do. If you read the ancient texts, you would find out that there are certain Siddhis and people who are called Siddhas who have mastered the arts and mastered certain practices of yoga and pranayama and, and tantra. And they're able to, you know, manipulate time and space and weather and all these different things to, to their advantage. And, you know, you can, it can go both ways, right? But the suggestion is to use it for good, for love. And, and to your point, I think it all, it's possible. We just need to bring together people and use the power of the internet to engage in, in these beautiful practices and, and make people feel better. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think having that focus of like a, a group intention, yeah. again, it, it doesn't create separation. It creates empowerment. They feel like they're giving towards something. And one of the most important things as a, uh, as a human is that we are contributing in some way, shape, or form. It's basically a different word for self-growth. But if we're not contributing right. to life, to ourselves in some way at all, 
then we are lost. There is a void that's not being filled to our human design, that, that sense of tribe, that sense of connection and, you know, uh, giving back. This is something that's really important. So you give people an intention and they feel like they're a part of that, which they are. Yeah. That in itself is healing and, and very powerful. So I think having the right intention gives people motivation to get involved. Yeah. One of my favorite, uh, I guess you could call him a motivational speaker, but Tony Robbins, I love Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. And back in the day when I was sort of getting into the whole self-help, um, you know, groove or vibe, I remember he once said that uh, when people are able to contribute, that's like, you know, it, it changes their state, right? It goes along with the quote that says, what you do for yourself, you know, goes away, but what you do for others it, it's, it remains there. It's, it's always there like a legacy. And so I think it's important to nourish yourself and to support yourself financially, emotionally, spiritually, but also find opportunities to contribute and support and better other people's lives because that will make you feel fulfilled and it will make you feel, I don't know what word to describe it, but it will make you feel in a certain way. Uh, and, and so Steve, you know, on, on top of breathwork, what are some other complementary practices or hacks that you found recently that help you detoxify or maybe, you know, um, feel better? Is there any, anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, there, there's two. One is super simple <clears throat> and it's self-love. Yeah. Um, this was something that was holding me back from reaching the next phase of my life. And it took me a long time to realize it. <clears throat> but after I got out of my depression, there was still a lot of lingering crap um, that was still, you know, going on. And I, I, I later realized the only way to get through it was to turn the freaking dial up on my self-love. And so guys, like become your biggest cheerleader your biggest mm. cheerleader. I mean, celebrate your mistakes, celebrate mm. good decisions, the bad decisions, celebrate every single thing and rain it down on yourself. I'm not even kidding. Like <laughs> screw up, just be like, Oh my, I am the best screw up ever. Yeah. This is amazing. I just learned so much. I'm not going to do that again. So thank you world self for uh, going through that mistake. Cause now I get it. I get it. You know? And so I, I know it seems way, way simple, but it's actually one of the more challenging um, practices, but I'm not kidding. Make it uh, obnoxious, like love yourself obnoxiously. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> um, and it'll change. It'll change the way you see yourself and, and that will change everything for you. Um, people will, won't be repelled from you. They'll be heavily attracted to you. And the more you can attract people and things that are going to come up for you and for your ability to, to actually carry out that manifestation, that intention that you've created. Um, so that's one for sure. Another one is this really interesting method by a very close friend of mine called uh, Nishan. And he has trained um, the Buddhist, in the Buddhist teaching for 20 years. And he has an amazing method called Feel, Surrender, Love. And this is a, a very challenging um, like method because it, you have to look at your pains. Mm. And so his practice is about getting into a meditative state 
and checking the body for any tension or contraction. And if there's anything, then you go into that pain because it, any pains that we're, we're storing are generally not physical pains. They're actually emotional pains that are um, being stored in the body. And that is turned into a physical pain because it's chronic. Um, so this emotional pain. So basically you just, you view the, uh, the pains inside. Um, he helps give you trigger words. Like I can't do this. I can never do this. And that always threw me off at first. Cause I'm like, mm. why are you telling me I can't do this? I can never do this. Mm. This is not the positive positivity I was expecting. But what happens is when you have that dialogue with yourself, you dissolve that ego. And this is a moment that you can go, Oh my God, I, I, I thought that. I can't do this. I can never do this. And then you pull that emotion up. It's a pain from your childhood, from one whatever moment. And then what you do is you, you see it, you feel it. And then you, you begin to like amplify that, that feeling by sending it what's called meta unconditional love. So it's this really cool method about tuning into the pains, transmuting that pain, and then sending it just huge levels of unconditional love. And the more that you can do this, the more that your pain body stops controlling your life. You start mm. to have a different relationship with your emotions and that you let them come in and pass almost simultaneously because generally we soak in it. Oh my God, I screwed up. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to have this. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. And it's like a tornado effect. But when you learn, Ooh, I feel contraction. Where is it at in the body? So this is the method is I, do I feel contracted? Are there any pains in my body? Where are they located? What does that feel like? Okay. Are, are there phrases that are attached to this pain? Um, like, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I don't deserve love. Things like this. And through that dialogue, um, emotions will come up. And that's the moment to transcend them into, you know, into the highest and, uh, and sending it unconditional love. And mm -hmm. then you feel that pain and you have a new relationship with that emotion, which is love, not pain. So that, that wouldn't really help me out a lot in my, in my transformation. Got it. I'm going to try this out. I mean, I I love unconditional love. And there's something about unconditional love. And the more you meditate upon it, the more you learn what unconditional love really is. Because uh, at the surface level, yeah, sure, it is love without any condition. But until you really radiate it and demonstrate it for yourself, you don't realize what it really is. And usually unconditional love shines through when you've been in a painful situation. Right. And that's when you get an opportunity to demonstrate or exude unconditional love because you realize that you have all the love that you ever need. And so you're projecting love, not because you need it back, but because that's who you are. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Love Interesting. That. Love that. So <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are also having some mini epiphanies as they're listening to this right now. Yeah, good. That's what it's all about. It's that self-inquiry. Mm. And that's the same thing with your emotional state, with your breathing, with your thoughts, your intentions. So I have a, I have a, a phrase that I came up with, and mm -hmm. I think it applies to what we're talking about right now. Okay, so it's, you don't have to know your purpose. 
But if you give what you're doing a purpose, it will lead you to your purpose. So the thing is you're generally walking around life, just, just living, you know? And so a lot of people, you ask them, what's your purpose? What's your purpose here in life? Or what's your purpose right now? Question. And people get upset because they don't know their purpose. And again, it's kind of like that identity. Like, I don't know my purpose. I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm scared. You don't have to know your purpose. But do you give what you're doing a purpose? Mm. Like, there, I have a purpose to be here on this, on this uh, talk with you. I have a purpose on why it is that I'm creating a meditation. I have a purpose on why I get up and go to breakfast this morning. I give everything I'm doing a purpose. And that leads me, because of that awareness, then I'm being shown signals and signs um, on the next move to take, the next direction to go. And it leads me to my purpose. It's fascinating how it works. Um, so it's kind of, that's the whole point with this practice and these emotions is you start to have a different dialogue. You start to give what you're doing a purpose and that will mm. lead to your purpose. So yeah, it, it sort of reminds me of what uh, Tony Robbins once said. He said that our life is determined by our years. Our years are determined by our months. Months are determined by our days and our days are determined by our magical moments. And so if you are able to bring the magic into the moment by being purposeful or intentional and bringing your consciousness into every interaction or every task, then automatically your life will be more purposeful or maybe you will find your purpose. Yeah. So that is, that's amazing. <laughs> and so uh, Steve is, I'm sure somebody is on this, you know, podcast right now who wants to make a change in their life, but somehow everything around them in their immediate surroundings reminds them that any effort to change would be futile because their past or their current circumstances is going to pull them back to square one. What are your thoughts on this? Do you, do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, I want to be there. I want to be doing this. I want to be this person, but look at where am I right now? Look at what are my conditions. Look at my level of debt. Look at my relationships. I can never be there. I can never make a shift. How, how does one think through this? Well, you have to kind of create a separation with okay. like the dialogue of like, I can't do this or, you know, the, this, this, that, that's the thing in the first place is if you're carrying your baggage hmm. <laughs> from your past moments and experiences in your life, if you carry that baggage with you, then that's going to really stop you from making that transformation. So don't think about your debt. Don't think about the, the traumatic or the traumas. Don't think about your failures. Uh, why not? And if you go back to the origins of what you said, you know, it's like um, wanting to make that shift and I can't do this or, you know, like all these past moments and experiences are going to stop me from my debt and all this stuff is going to stop me from being able to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. And it's... <clears throat> It's this that is like what we, we need to shift. So the past moments and experiences have led you to the current position and moment right now. 
And when you change the dialogue on how can I do this to, I am doing this, I am going to do this, this is happening, then that changes it. So the when you see the baggage, the past things that have happened to you that um, are you're carrying with you, they've made who, you who you are today, and how could I ever get to that other side? Why don't you just change the dialogue you're having with that? Instead of looking at the baggage, why don't you look at the fact that all those past moments and experiences have made you who you are today, and right now today, you are questioning making a change. That is phenomenal. That is outstanding. That means... All of those little things had to happen. They all had to fall into place to bring you into this moment right now, which is a moment of shift. Mm. It's a moment of change. And that is exciting. That is motivational. And that is your transformation. That is the beginning, just the shifting in the perspective and perception of your past moments and experiences and shifting it into becoming your greatest gifts because they made who you are. And again, if you find yourself, uh, if you can have more unconditional love. So when I'm like, they made you who you are and people are like, oh, I'm overweight. I'm not successful. I don't have a relationship. I suck. No. Mm. And you change that dialogue that you are amazing thing in the world. Then everything will become much more simple and easy. So don't look at the baggage, look at what the baggage created and then celebrate that shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful thought experiment. Sometimes you don't realize, right, that all the experiences, all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the decisions that you had to make in time across your life to finally having to or maybe deciding to listen to this podcast and be in this state of mind to receive this message. Right. It's pretty interesting. Uh, the journey and the quest that life takes you on. And you could have not listened to this episode, but you did. So there's some there's something called divine timing. And the fact that you're listening to this right now speaks volumes about where you need to be in life because you are where you need to be. Absolutely. Well, and this is one more thing. This is like, I could never quite figure out why I became depressed minus mm. like outside of the losing of the identity, but it was so powerful and so long, six straight months. And I just, I said, well, I, I'm not really sure why, like what was the <laughs> reason for this? Mm. And when I started to use breathing and started to change how I perceived things in my mindset, what I realized is that I had to go through that depression. That was part of the divine plan so mm. that I could speak to people from a place of truth. I didn't mm. read this shit in a book. No, I cried for weeks and weeks and I would bang bamboo against a tree. And then I would, you know, I would laugh one minute. I would cry the next. I'd have rage the next. And I needed to go through that, you know, that whirlwind of emotions and deep darkness within myself so that I could relate to people from a place of authenticity, of experience. Mm. That again, we talk about moments and experiences. That was the most detrimental time in my life, but it has now become because I changed my perspective, become one of the biggest blessings and gifts I've ever received. It brings me, it makes me emotional because I changed, I transmuted it. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can take your fears and what's what's like transmute it into your drive. Mm -hmm. your sadness and transmute it into uh, your passions. Okay. Your anger becomes your motivation, right? So uh, emotions are just energy in motion. 
And so instead of looking at an emotion like something that, okay, we think anger means we fight. Sadness means you cry. If you're scared, then you hide, you know, things like that. But those are just what we've been taught. That's how we've been taught to react to the emotion. But mm -hmm. what about if we change the dialogue here? We change the narrative. And so what I've tried to figure out and uh, have done really well at, at practicing, it's another little biohacking tool, is that if you feel fear, focus on your drive, the things that you want to go do, okay? If you feel sadness, direct your attention towards your passions. And what you'll find is those things will get directed and you'll be transmuting that emotion. And so it helps you rather mm -hmm. than debilitates you. So the same thing with that low vibration emotion, it actually propelled me forward um, when I changed the narrative that I had with that, that dark time. And it became one of my biggest inspirations. So I challenge all your listeners as well. What are some, what are some moments and experiences that you've had in your life that you are disgusted with, that you, you have a lot of resentment, judgment, hatred towards, can you, which I know you can, but will you focus on the opposite and transmute that emotion so that it's working for you and not to you? Interesting. So Action Tribe, I hope you are listening to this right now. And I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. As we're learning, there is a light within you, a small fire that is yearning to burn even more brightly with the flame of consciousness. If you're listening to this podcast, you are already on this path of self-realization. The key to progressing now on this journey is to let go of any external distractions and pay more attention to what's happening within, to that still small voice and that flame inside of you. And the key to doing that is through meditating on your breath. Because as the yoga master BKS Iyengar once put, as a fire blazes brightly when the covering of ash over it is scattered by the wind, the divine fire within the body shines in all its majesty when the ashes of fire when the ashes of desire are scattered by the practice of pranayama or breath work. And with that being said, it's now time for our wisdom round, the last round for today, so that our listeners can take note and take action. So, Steve, what is the best piece of advice that you have received in your life? Oh, oh man, this is a tough one. Um... Okay, I'm going to give this one because it's really relevant to what we've just been talking about for the several minutes. The best way to become a good teacher is to teach. Got it. So, and this applies to so many things, you know, we always are trying to prepare to be ready for something, hmm. whether it's your looks, your job, your success, I mean, anything. We're always in a, in a state of preparation, but we generally don't do because we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of um, exposure, of being embarrassed, all of these things. So we try and prepare to perfection. But the best way to be a good teacher is to teach. So it's, it's generally, I, I try and do it the opposite. Like I'll sell a course and then build it. So like uh, you can sit for months trying to design the perfect course, but you'll never know if it's going to be the perfect course unless you actually start doing it. 
And so people spend years or months uh, trying to design things for their business. Mm -hmm. That's that's a projection. You don't know what's going to happen. The only way to find out is to do it. And, And that is, again, going back into how each moment and experience in your life is there to, to help you, to help you grow. It's only up to you on how you perceive it. So anything that you're doing, you know, the best way to master it is to just do it. That's the best way. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone, who would it be? My mother, hundred percent without a shadow of a doubt. I love that woman dearly. And what is it one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you sleep these days that has improved the quality of your life? Ah, thing, oh, this is great. This is great. I've actually incorporated a new one. And oh, man, the synchronicities, you keep bringing up these like really good entryways for me to like, you know, <laughs> tie this conversation together. So a new thing that I've been um, getting into lately is I get up in the morning and I choose what kind of like state or emotion I want to have for that day. So it might be like, okay, I know I get up in the morning and I just meditate for a moment and I'm like, all right, I have a lot of projects that I need to get ready. So today my core valued emotion is going to be focus, drive, and motivation. Or it can be one, it could be three, it's whatever it is. Then what I do is I do some breathing and I let that charge up and, and I bring myself into that state of that core desired emotion. And then I start my day. And that is, it's shown me, one, I'm putting my foot in the sand and saying, this is how, do you guys ever do that? Again, you don't have to know your purpose, but if you give what you're doing a purpose, it'll lead you to your purpose. So have you ever tried starting your day saying, I'm going to be in, because some days I'm like, I need to focus. I want creativity, playfulness, Mm -hmm. and laughter. Those are the three that I want to bring as my core valued emotions for today. And, and this has really changed the game. It's amazing how that ripple effect that you create by dropping that stone in the water can change the way you see your day, you see the world. And this had, has going to have such a profound impact on how you experience that day. Just setting a five-minute intention of what core valued emotion you want to have for that day. Charging it up a little bit. See it like it's happening. But it's like a five, ten-minute practice. It's, it takes no time at all. No time at all. So that is, uh, there you go. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners today, what would it be? Um, Interesting question. Interesting question. Um, I I tell you what, actually, this is a, a a little off topic, but the four hour work week. This is, this actually taught me a lot about how I have a relationship with money, how I have a relationship with my success for, I was, the harder you work, the more successful you'll become. And I'm not saying that's untrue, but I work twice as hard as I need to. And I don't think I make more money because of it. Mm. And when you, when you, how to delegate things, how to put systems in place and how to, you know, gain a residual income. Uh, it, it changes the game completely. It actually, that book teaches you not to be so freaking hard on yourself 
to be more strategic about what you do rather than just doing it. And, uh, and I think it's very valuable. And in the world that we live in today, having an online business and being able to work those four hour work weeks, I mean, who doesn't want to, doesn't want to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, the author of this book, Tim Ferriss is one of the smartest guys around. It's been a year, couple of years actually since I've read that book. And maybe this is a reminder for me to revisit the powerful concepts in this book. And it's fascinating. I mean, um, uh, one of the reasons why he named it for our work week is because he actually did a lot of Google research and SEO keyword research to find out what's ranking the highest. And he came to know that this, these combinations of words will give him the best you know, results on Google. And it, it, I guess it paid off, <laughs> but, you know, setting the intention and, and being very strategic uh, and smart about your work can definitely pay a lot of rewards. So thanks for reminding me and Action Tribe, if you would like to receive this book for free, then there's a way to do that. Audible.com is giving all our listeners one free Audible download with a free 30 day trial. And these are Audible. So these are like books, but they, you can listen to the book and in most cases, the author themselves read out the books to you and you're getting it for free. You don't pay anything right now, but to get your book for our work week, go to my seven forward slash free book. Once again, my seven is a word, my seven forward slash free book, download the book, take the 30 day trial, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy their service. But Steve, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode and sharing everything that you did and being vulnerable about your own story and blending that, um, you know, what you shared with the science behind it. Um, really appreciate it. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how can we find you online? Um, honestly, I, I'm just grateful for life. There's so many gifts and opportunities, moments, experiences. I, I'm just, I'm grateful for myself. I'm grateful to be alive. It's uh, its a beautiful time to be living. Um, the things going on in the world are, are quite magical, actually. Um, and you guys can find me on uh, Breathe with Steve. That's my YouTube channel. And uh, Stephen Whitney is my Facebook page. But mostly my website and everything is breathewithsteve.com. And if uh, any of you want to learn more about breathing and soma breath and the science, then please reach out to me from the soma breath website. It's somabreath.com. Um, I oversee and manage their instructor training program. So I'm happy there's a way that you can actually book a call with me. So if you go to the soma website, you can book a call and speak with me directly. And I can uh, educate you even more on what's in the course and how you can actually start to embody these methods yourself. Awesome. Thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, if you are on Instagram, and I sh I'm sure many of you are, but if you're on Instagram, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me so that I can share your story with our community. Uh, my handle is at my seven chakras, at my seven chakras. And Steve, what is your handle again? Uh, breathe with Steve. There you go. So search for both our handles, tag us, take a screenshot of this episode so that we can share this story with our community and we can connect in that way. If you'd like to email me, give me some feedback, give me some observation, or maybe you listened to an episode and you really enjoyed it. Send me an email. My email is aj at my seven chakras.com. That's aj at my seven chakras.com. 
Um, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, talking to us about the power of our breath and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Yes. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. And uh, really, really appreciate being here. So much love to uh, all the listeners and to you as well, my friend. And thanks everyone for joining us live. I can see a bunch of you who have listened to every single minute of this episode. And so I appreciate you for being there with us, you know, giving us the support that we need. Thanks everybody. Much <laughs> love. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my S-E-V-E-N chakras.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.